Tsukito Supon, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Japanese for the moon and a soft-shelled turtle, which is, Rob, roughly analogous to comparing apples and oranges. Okay. I was wondering. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful turn of phrase. I just couldn't parse what it could possibly mean. Yeah. Rob, they all are. You look up Japanese idioms, you're like, man, this is just like, it's all poetry. Uh but yeah, apples and oranges sure seems like we've got one class of team and driver and then everybody else. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, not too bad. I think I might have just watched the fi- final nail be driven in the Chicago Cubs season with mm. a really unusual air on a routine fly ball, which I guess makes it unusual. But uh, I was doing great until then. The, the Cubs were like just absolutely smoking the best team in the league. And it's like, yeah, they're starting to surge at the right time of the year. And now, uh, as with many sports and the teams I favor, it's just like, well, whose season starts next? Well, that's the great thing about Formula One. The season doesn't end. Rob. No, it just loops. Just loops. Uh, Daniel Dwyer is on assignment this week. Um, but he'll be back soon. If you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. And if you are new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge, explains how the sport works and who everybody is. Um, and so if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 216. Also, the show uh, would not be possible without our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we, we release bonus podcasts uh, and videos, uh, along with the ad-free version of the podcast. Um, but uh, the bonus, the bonuses cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. Rob, do you want to tell the people what we're recording tomorrow? Oh, my God. Uh, So we are engaging with the high-stakes world of uh, sailing. Um, And I'm still still working out what it it, is. Is technically yachting? Are these called yachts? I don't know. They're catamarans. I don't know what makes... I'm just wondering if this is what yacht racing has turned into. As as design as design has uh, changed over the years, mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah, we are we are going to be watching some some boat racing of of all things, uh, and some I guess some of our audience is very excited about this. People people have wanted us to check out what is the series called? Sail GP. Sail GP. Uh, people have been pushing for us to check this out for for a little bit. I've always enjoyed the broadcasts. Uh, the broadcasts are some like the, the best in class sports broadcasts I've I've seen in terms of like real time graphics and presentation. But also, it's a sport I certainly don't know. I followed it a little bit a few years ago, but mostly it was because like watching boats race on the water is cool, uh, and it has strong video game vibes. I think in terms of presentation as well, like. There's a lot of times when the camera pulls back, and you can easily imagine uh, it, it appears to have been rendered, in fact, in a way to sort of make it look video gamey. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think um, I think you uh, we'll, we'll get into it, I guess, on on the podcast. But I think it's a sport that you need a lot of that, uh, uh, a lot of those graphics. Um, so, uh, but it's 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 wild in a lot of ways. So I am I'm very uh, excited to. Uh, to uh, talk to you guys about it and just try to understand <laughs> what is up uh, with boat racing because it is there's a lot of different there's some similarities and some very different stuff um, to uh, to uh, to race cars so uh, look forward to that if you are a patron uh, speaking of patrons if you would like to get your uh, sponsor sticker on this period podcast you can go to patreon.com slash shift f1 um and uh, become a title sponsor, uh, such as these fine folks, Agave ATX, Cyphus Training, Turf SCS, at Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, at Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, TelemetryDeck.com, FTC, Drew Stewart, Baileyfoot, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, The Space Above Us Podcast, Bunny Fiend, Sniggs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Rompf, 
Irvine Clinical Research, Lackland the Madden Man, and M Squared Racing welcomes Ellie. Thank you, everyone, for supporting us on the show. Um, and thank you to our uh, title sponsors. Uh, and with that, Rob, if I can remember how Danny throws it back to me, I think we just hop right into the Japanese Grand Prix. What do you say? I believe we do, yes. Um, and let's just start with the grid. Regular service has resumed. Max Verstappen is on pole. Uh, however, sitting next to him for the first time, rookie... Oscar Piastri, the first rookie to start on the front row since Lance Stroll in 2017, which, if you'll note, Rob, was six years ago. Uh, Lando Norris in third. Charles Leclerc in fourth. The Ferraris, interestingly, saved their tires, their, their soft tires, for one Q3 run, uh, which I thought was, was interesting. Um, Sergio Perez in fifth. Carlos Sainz sixth. Lewis Hamilton seventh. George Russell eighth. Yuki Tsunoda in ninth, and then Fernando Alonso in 10th. And I think Alex Jakes said that Alonso has been in every Q3 this season, which is very impressive. Jeez. Uh, also impressive in 11th place, Liam Lawson in his, this is now his fourth race. He's <clears throat> really getting uh, a number of races under his belt. Uh, Pierre Gasly in 12th, Alex Albon 13th, Esteban Ocon 14th, Kevin Magnussen 15th. Behind him, we've got Botas, Stroll, Hulkenberg, Joe Guan Yu, uh, who had some bad luck with traffic in uh, in Q1. Uh, had to dip onto the grass to avoid some. Uh, and then Logan Sargent, who had even worse luck, crashed in the first few minutes of Q1. And immediately, Rob, I think I and a lot of the commentators said this, a lot of viewers probably said, well, there it goes. There goes his drive for next year. What do you think? That I mean, that was my reaction when that happened, uh, and he just sort of understeers off in the final corner into the uh, in into the barriers. Uh, I was just I started like I was waving at the TV. I was like goodbye, 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 Logan. Uh, it's been I hope you have a great career somewhere, but I don't I don't see how it could possibly continue here. Uh, Anthony Davidson, you know, came on and was like it just appears to be a unforced driver driver error in this case. But as luck would have it, James Vowles was the team principal that Sky had on the uh, on the broadcast this this week. And during the race, for a lot of reasons, we didn't end up hearing as much from uh, Vowles as we might otherwise like. But he always he's always a good interview. And he's very frank about these things. It was striking the degree to which he cut off uh, uh, Crofty and Ant as they sort of teed him up to. You know, they're you know the sort of the the broadcasters trying to draw you out with mock sympathy, right? Like, oh, it just has to be so horrible for the team. Uh, you know, having to rebuild the car, and obviously, this is so many cars you had to rebuild with this guy, and really just sort of like teeing him up to sort of you know talk about basically the the damage that Sargent has inflicted on Williams and Vols pretty aggressively cut that off and shut it down, and you know expressed that. Uh, you know, it was, it was an unfortunate mistake. Um, but they were, you know, he called attention to the fact that Sergeant was pretty much running, you know, door handle to door handle with, uh, with, 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 um, with his teammate Alvin and, you know, he, he re and we sort of also emphasized that like, yes, there might be some logistical issues that come up with, uh, the, replacement of equipment that they've had to do and and where that's going to impact the team, but really sort of brushed off any idea that Williams was going to have trouble developing a car, uh, you know, for next year because of this or uh, fielding a car for the next races, uh, you know, really, really shut it down and really gave Sargent a pretty, you know, given the circumstances, a pretty firm vote of support and, you know, who knows? In F1, they will do that to you one day, and then they will fire you the next day. That's still in the cards. I still think he seems like a long shot to retain his seat, simply because it seems like there are better prospects out there you might be able to go get uh, with the with the spare Williams seat. But it was striking the degree to which Vowles wasn't having any of it uh, in terms of scapegoating him, and... Things didn't go well the next day either. I'll just, you know, skip ahead. Like, Sargent had a bad race. And again, in the aftermath of that, um, 
oh god, I forget who it is with Williams Robson. Uh, I think it, yeah. it's like the director of performance again, sort of shut down anyone trying to fish for throw Logan under the bus comments and really emphasize the degree to which like the team is ready to replace any parts. They've, they've been, the way he put it is it's unfortunate that Logan's incidents this weekend overshadowed all the progress he's been making, catching up to his teammate. And so I'm not sure he's he's a dead man walking. Uh, but either way, if you compare how pretty much any team on the grid has tended to handle drivers who are habitually struggling, uh, it's really striking the degree to which Williams is not playing that game. Uh, they're not they're not scapegoating him, and they're not building up a a case for for firing him. They may still do it, but it's it's an interesting approach. Yeah, I think if they do. I'll think twice about why it was, you know, um, there, there may be other circumstances that, you know, you just don't see, you know, interpersonal stuff, um, things like that. And, and that's also what we're not seeing. We're not seeing what he is like moment to moment, day to day with the team. Um, his, his dedication, if, if that is indeed, uh, you know, something that they're, that they're looking at for him. I, I, I kind of, you know, I think about uh, Yuki Sonoda a lot uh, with yeah. this because he, that was his rookie season too. He was crashing a lot, making a lot of mistakes, especially in qualifying. Um, and uh, yeah, so he's still around and with Red Bull, no less. So yeah, it's not always as cut and dry. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see, but yeah, I, I am really enjoying whenever I get to hear James Val's talk, because like you said, it's, it's very, it's direct. Um, it's yeah. clear and it's kind of no nonsense. So um, he's he's one of those guys, and Williams under him. You're kind of rooting for them because you're hoping that model of like team leadership and also that sort of no drama and very little gamesmanship approach to being an F1 team principal. You're kind of hoping that that can work so that you know so that a positive model can be out there that you know can can have an influence as opposed to what i i think tends to happen across sport which is that people who are a little bit uh sociopathic in their relationship to athletes and colleagues uh and and just very ruthless in their approach to competition and and you know don't really uh, seem to value a lot outside of that. Those those folks tend to be the ones who succeed, and and their their example tends to get elevated and emulated uh, in sports. So you're you're kind of you know it's it's hard not to pull for Vols and and Williams uh, just to offer a counterpoint. Yeah. Uh, well, should we get to the start, Rob? I've got some notes here, but if you like. Um you can take it, or or I can. Which would you prefer? Well, I mean, the start was it was it was one of the, one of the more exciting starts uh, for the year in terms mm-hmm. of the battle for the lead. Uh, pretty much the whole race. Uh, you know, we 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 started really the race kind of began with just the the way they lined up on the grid with uh, Max and Oscar both angling their cars severely toward each other, uh, setting up a game of check in, declaring intention. Uh, to try and cut the other off. And indeed, as soon as the lights went out, that is exactly what happened. Uh, Max had a good start and was running ahead of Piastri and immediately uh, swept over to the right-hand side of the uh, of, of the track to uh, force force Piastri to the limits and cut him off from from the from the correct line into turn one. Uh, so we'd be forced to slow down and back off, but it seems like that was actually all part of McLaren's plan. The entire thing did feel like a, a, a an attack that had been discussed in advance because as Max is doing that, uh, Norris who started behind him is racing up to the outside of turn one and appears to have a clean shot at getting around Max on the outside because Max has been so concerned with trying to uh, cut off Oscar. And so at the last second, uh, Max has to veer back toward the middle of the track uh, to deal with the threat from, from Norris. And it really seemed like in terms of the tactic, it basically worked like McLaren's gamble to, to put the squeeze on max functionally worked. 
it just didn't matter is the problem. <laughs> like once once Max was like, oh, I need to get back on the racing line and deal with uh, Lando. He did, and then his car is faster, and then he was gone, and that was basically it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the background of all that, uh, you saw a huge lockup and parts parts going flying. Uh, and what was going on there was, you know, it's the stuff that happens in the in in the back of the pack. Uh, basically, uh, Valtteri had ended up in the middle. Uh, of, a, of a pack, uh, but specifically squeezed between uh, Ocon and Albin as they were as they were getting away from the from the starting grid, and they just ran out of room. And uh, both of us took a took a hard hit. Uh, his his wing got got really badly damaged. Uh, I think pretty much I, I think Albin was damaged uh, in that as well. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was it was a moment that like it, it set the set the alphas up for what was going to be a, a a tough day, uh, and it left so much debris on the track that it wasn't too much longer before they declared a uh, safety car. Yeah, some other uh, bumping and grinding in the back uh, field. Signs moved into Perez's path, which caused him to drift into Hamilton. Bumped wheels and uh, put Hamilton briefly onto the grass. Um, but uh, the, as far as the rest of that first lap was concerned, the real action in, in my book is with the Alpha Tauris. Uh, Sonoda and Lawson went side-by-side side through what felt like half of the racetrack. Lawson had this amazing late-breaking job and was able to dart up the inside um, of one of the corners. It looked... it it. Go watch the replay because it looks like it's like sped up footage or something. He just, it's such a cool move and the angle and everything just really sells it. Uh, that allows him to lead into the next corner on the outside uh, and take the place. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, safety car for debris uh, from the contact at the start. Perez takes the opportunity to pit for hard tires and uh, new front wing number one. Um, we do restart soon after, and on lap five, Botas is suddenly facing the wrong way. And on replay, he was hit by none other than Logan Sargent, who locked up on the inside uh, of a corner. Um, yeah, not a not a great weekend for for old Logan. No, and and you feel bad for both of them because it's not like it's not like Logan. Like he did, he, I think he picked up the penalty for this for causing the collision. But it's one of those things where, like Valtteri was going around the outside of him. It's not like he went. It's not like he did something necessarily to cause the collision. It's, he just couldn't make the turn. He wasn't like t- trying a dive. He was being overtaken. He locked up heading into the hairpin, and suddenly there's a car in front of him, and he can't steer anymore. He takes out that car. Yeah. It's to me, it's like it's a little like it's a little bit of a difference because I think I, I'd like to see causing a collision penalties when someone is making a proactive choice to like take a gamble. It didn't feel like Sargent was trying to take a dive down the middle. It just felt like he was on his, on the line he'd chosen and he lost control of the car uh, with lockup, which just happens. And Valtteri was like going around the outside at that moment. But either way, it was uh, sort of a lousy coda to uh, Sargent's, Sargent's awful, awful weekend. Uh, he ended up retiring shortly thereafter, right? Uh, like there was there was damage sustained here that they that they had to bring him in. Yeah, Sergeant retired. He I mean he ended up just being kind of in the uh, back of the grid until lap twenty two is when he retired. Uh, Botas though <laughs> now has contact or damage from contact with two Williams cars and retired on lap nine. Um, so he, yeah, he they, they brought him into the pits, it and it's not good when the half the crew is lying down next to the car, like trying to see under it and right. like see how bad the floor is. But yeah, yeah. Uh, lap five, another great battle between teammates, and this one continues. Russell and Hamilton going at it over seventh place. Russell has a great cutback to get Hamilton on the inside, which he keeps with some bold lines uh, through the next couple turns, not giving an inch to his. Uh, multi-championship winning teammate. Um, but on the main straight, Hamilton slingshots by Russell with DRS and just manages to swoop around the outside into turn one to retake the place. I loved this uh, this back and forth. It was a great duel. I also think it's the first moment where 
I feel like if you, if you had to sum up the, how the weekend went for Mercedes, or at least the race, how the race went, it was like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because I <laughs> yeah. feel like they came out of this race with everyone being unhappy and feeling like the pit wall hadn't made the right calls, both drivers feeling like they'd gotten screwed by race strategy calls that they hadn't been listened to. And I think kind of starts here. And I think one thing that, like, as good as the duel was, I think the funny thing here is that Hamilton's pace appears to be slightly compromised by that that dive plane damage he took with the uh, with the tag from Perez. Um, these additional parts appear to be flying off at various points in yeah. the in the, in this duel, and so it looks like Russell might have a bit more pace. And you might think like it does make sense maybe to release him and let him run on ahead, uh, but at the same time he couldn't close the deal. You know, if 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 it turns out he did have a little more pace, uh, he didn't have so much that he could actually run away from Hamilton, and Hamilton was able to gather him up again. And so you get Russell on the on the radio saying, "Are we gonna are we fighting each other? Or are we gonna fight the other teams uh, effectively?" Uh, calling for you know basically kind of running the teacher to to sort of say like, "Hey, like you should let me go ahead and take the fight." Uh, you know, to to the team to the guys running ahead of us, and we should sort of work together here. And Mercedes kind of don't really. They, they kind of, it seemed it seemed like they just kind of didn't respond at this juncture. They're kind of letting things play out. I mean, they kind of did. I think they they pitted Hamilton right around that time, and they did not pit Russell. So they split the strategy and are just leaving Russell out there to do a one stop, uh, where Hamilton pits on lap sixteen. Uh, goes from medium to hard tires, intending to do a two-stop. But before that happens, uh, Sergio Perez damages another front wing with, and I think it's the same place where Sergeant and Botas came together, a very late lunge up the inside of Kevin Magnuson, uh, connecting with his rear left and spinning him 180 degrees. Uh, also very similar to his move on Albon last week in Singapore. So I don't know what is going on over there. Dude, uh, it, like, so... Two things can be true. I think we can have a lot of sympathy for where Perez is at with his team and knowing, you know, based on kind of what Marco Marco's comments, like how we know he's viewed uh, by, by some of the folks in the management and the, and the lenses through which through which some of those folks view him uh, and the lack of support he got. You have a lot of sympathy for that. Yeah. Also, at the same time, this the shtick is getting old. For him as a driver, like I think he's always he, like he has always had tendencies to initiate contact a little more than you want to see in an F1 driver and uh, tendencies to just like take risks that are just they're too low percentage to to try and stick this weekend. The, like between this race and the last race, though, I think the thing that shifted is his judgment appears to be actively bad um, that and he just kind of can't drive the car. Uh, we saw him. We saw him struggle with the same corner a couple times. He couldn't. He couldn't negotiate that hairpin to to save his life this this weekend. But it, yeah, it's this combination of just bad judgment, uh, not coming to grips with the car, and he is out there pinballing off people uh, and teams who are who are sort of fighting for meaningful points in the championship. It was kind of it was kind of exasperating. Yeah, yeah. Um... He he is signed for through twenty twenty four, so it doesn't it doesn't strike me as desperation necessarily. You'd think like he's got a you know a decent lead uh, in second in the championship going into this race. You don't you don't need to take a lot of risks, but um, yeah, don't I don't know. In any case, well, he retires uh, on lap fifteen, albeit temporarily. Yeah, so this is this is the thing. So, and this comes up uh, post post race a, a little bit uh, because he he just starts picking up penalties in in all of this because like these are clear he is causing collisions. Uh, he's he picks up uh, penalties for that. I think he also picks up one for overtaking under the safety car. Uh, he's just sort of a penalty generating machine. He, he overtook someone diving into the pit lane uh, under the safety car. And so, like he's he's racking up penalties, he's he's tagging a lot of drivers, he's taking a lot of damage. But at the end of it, uh, you know, he's got this this penalty sitting out there. I think for this contact with with Magnuson, uh, this five second penalty. But they retire the car, 
and then they eventually later in the race they decide to put him back out so he can like much later in the race so he can go out there come in for a pit stop serve his five seconds come in retire the car and that way it's a clean slate next week. And this triggered some discussion uh, among the drivers after the race. Albin and Magnuson were both as like as nice as they could be about it. But both of them, you know, in so many words, kind of said enough of this. Uh, and Albin specifically called out that these five-second penalties are not cutting it, which, which feels like it, it might be a talking point for the entire season. The five-second penalty is like very much a worthwhile cost of doing business if you can gain track position and just leave someone in the dust. Uh, but then the other thing is, obviously, you know, Red Bull kind of gamed this so they wouldn't have to carry that penalty forward. Uh, but the point Albin makes is, if five-second penalties were were meaningful, you know, stick, Perez wouldn't still be doing this. But Albin's like, <laughs> Albin said, I'm watching him do this. Like he did to me. <laughs> I turn around and watching him do it to Magnuson. Like it's not working. This is not, this is not encouraging him to race his driver standards. Uh, they actually got, uh, they talked to George Russell after the race because he wears that other hat as the head of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Mm -hmm. And he kind of admitted that they might need to revisit this because they're, in general, the, the paradigm has been, they don't hand out penalties based on the severity of the incident, the consequences of the incident. You just you just sort of look at it in a vacuum, and no matter what the stakes were or the impact it has on someone else's race, you just kind of treat like a collision is a collision is a collision, and that's and that's five seconds. Uh, and Russell did kind of acknowledge that there are times it might behoove uh, the marshals to consider the impact it has on other people's races. And he used himself as an example, uh, which is that I think he, he called out last year uh, a really sketchy incident he caused with uh, Carlos. Um, and he was like, honestly, that was probably worth more than five seconds. Hmm. So maybe we do need to talk about like how we, how we measure these things. So I, I feel like the, the five second penalty wrist slap uh, that we've seen handed out a lot this year may not be long for this world in its current form because uh, it's not it's not causing people to straighten up and fly right. And also, if you got you know if you get screwed and you see someone just <laughs> eat that penalty and drive on un unimpeded, uh, that's not going to sit well. Well, um, back to the race here. Some some good moves from the Ferraris around lap 20 or so. Uh, Leclerc gets by Ocon for fifth into Spoon Curve, spoon curve uh, on lap 19. Lap 20, Sainz gets by Alonso for seventh place. And then some more Hamilton, who is looking racier than we have seen from him in a while, frankly. Uh, lap 21, he drafts up behind Alonso and then goes for it on the inside of 130R at a very high rate of speed. I thought this was a really cool move. Is this after Alonzo is like you guys threw me to the wolves? <laughs> I think so. I think, yeah, because yeah, I feel like passed. this came after Alonzo was real and happy with the placement he had following a pit stop uh, and that he'd been, he'd been thrown to the wolves and uh, yeah, it was, but it was, it was great watching, watching Hamilton get this done. Uh, you know, his, his forms, his form has really been good lately. Yeah. Um, Lap 27, Norris, uh, having lost out to Piastri in the pits, closes up to his teammate and is calling over the radio for a swap since he is much faster. Uh, and after a while, Piastri does move over. Um, more pit stops happen around lap 35. Hamilton undercutting Signs, who, uh, you know, Signs is, he's, it's like he's becoming the new Vettel. He's got like these eyes in the back of his head, like he knows when he's just been undercut. Uh, Russell, by this point, has made it up to third, having started in eighth since he's on that one-stop strategy. However, Norris, having stopped just uh, for the second time, gets past him on lap 38, and then his teammate Piastri follows suit on lap 42, stacking the podium places with two McLarens. Uh, Leclerc gets by Russell on lap 45 for fourth place, and we get a great visor cam view of this pass into turn one. Very, very good. Uh, and while Hamilton is behind Russell in six, he did stop a second time. So on lap 49, Russell is told to move over for Hamilton. 
which is a tricky thing because Sainz is right behind Hamilton. So what Mercedes doesn't want to happen is for Russell to slow down too much and also give up a place to Sainz, to which Russell says, all right, great. How about we do this on the last lap so that Sainz doesn't have as much time to overtake me? But then the engineer comes back and says, it's an instruction, George. So, again, this is where... This conversation comes to a head on lap 49, but it's been building because <laughs> Hamilton's been there, like, you know, on his gearbox for a minute. And, again, probably the... Like, Hamilton certainly was making the argument... Like, hey, Hamilton thought he had, he had pace to go challenge uh, Leclerc up ahead. Um, and was it, was Leclerc? Sorry. Mm-hmm, they, yeah. Were, yeah. Uh, he was he was convinced that they had pace to to go ahead and uh, you know ch- challenge Leclerc, and the thing that's stopping him from mounting that challenge is being stuck behind his much slower teammate who's nursing these uh, shot to pieces tires around, and the team doesn't make the call to do that. They 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 don't intervene to uh, un- unleash Hamilton, even though it does sort of seem like this is sort of one of those clear cut like you're on different tire strategies like. Hamilton's got this pace in hand, let him use it. And so at lap 49, I didn't feel like there was going to be time for him to go get Leclerc. Hamilton still kind of thought maybe that was in, in, in the cards. But Hamilton's also saying, we're going to lose both positions if you keep me stuck back here. And George, yeah, George just wanted to do the sign, the signs trick, uh, which is <laughs> a great radio message. Signs calls it out. They're using my, they're using my trick against me. Uh, just, <laughs> just towing your, towing your tail gunner along behind you. So that the faster uh, car charging from behind can't get either of you, uh, because you know effectively the DRS moots moots their pace advantage. Um, but yeah, like at this point, Mercedes cuts off the conversation, and Russell's Russell's got to do it, even though he may have that may have been the better play. The one thing I'll say is, I feel like leaving it to the last lap. It's just tricky to execute these these pat these these swaps, uh, and they do it very cleanly as it as it happened. They they managed to do it, but it it is kind of one of those things where if you, you get it wrong in the last lap, that that might be the whole shooting match. Uh, so I, I can see why they might have wanted to do it now uh, when it still felt like they had some control over the situation. Right, because if Russell's ahead and then it's Hamilton, Russell is slowing Hamilton down, and so if Signs gets past Hamilton. Well, then now what do you do? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so Mercedes tries to execute the signs maneuver. It does not work on the master uh, because just one lap later, signs swoops by on the main straight with DRS to take sixth from George Russell. And that's how it finishes. Max Verstappen earns Red Bull their second consecutive Constructors' Championship and their sixth overall. Um, And additionally, this uh, note from racefans.net here, if Perez does not finish at least third in uh, the sprint race at the next event in Qatar, Verstappen will be champion. And if he does finish in the top three, Verstappen will still be champion if he finishes no more than five places behind his teammate. So it is very likely that we may see a champion crowned in a sprint race. Uh, Second place, though, McLaren's Lando Norris, who, according to F1.com, has finished second for the fourth time in the last seven races. He now has 10 career podiums without a win, and only four other drivers have as many podiums without a victory. That is Nick Heidfeld, Stefan Johansson, Chris Amon, and Roman Grosjean. So, good company. Uh, third place, holds on to the podium, Oscar Piastri, the rookie. Uh, way to go, Oscar. In fourth place, Charlotte Claire, Lewis Hamilton, fifth. Uh, this is also from F1.com. Lewis Hamilton's fifth place is his, he has always finished in the top five uh, at Suzuka. There's always a lighthouse. There's always Hamilton. We've always been at war with Suzuki. Hamilton's now 33 points behind Sergio Perez in the battle for second uh, in the World Championship. Ferrari, or I'm sorry, Red Bull have never finished 1-2 in the Drivers' Championship. That was surprising to me. 
Uh, sixth place, Carlos Sainz. Seventh place, George Russell. Eighth place, Fernando Alonso. Ninth place, Esteban Ocon and his teammate Pierre Gasly coming in 10th. Uh, Liam Lawson finishes Did you catch 11th. weirdness with Ocon and Gasly? Uh, no, what's up? Uh, there's a swap around order. And it oh, was because yes. uh, earlier in the race, I guess, they, un- they, they released Gasly like much earlier in the race. They, they released Gasly uh, to, to go ahead uh, since he had more pace and was on a different strategy. And at the end of the race, they, they were back together again with Gasly leading and the team ordered a swap around. And Gasly gently lost his shit on the radio, I guess, <laughs> is, is how that played out. Uh, Ocon, you know, his understanding, and, the, and this, is the, this is the team's line, uh, the team has pretty clear orders about this. And these predate uh, this year. This, this goes back a bit. If someone does you a favor and moves over and releases you, uh, and then you're together at the end of the race, you have to give that place back. Uh, that, that's sort of the, the, the courtesy that is enforced. Now, Gasly's position is we were on alternate strategies. I had more pace to begin with. I was miles ahead of Esteban. Uh, you know, there's no need to do it. There, there's no, no justifiable reason to do a swap around. Uh, but this is the principle that Alpine follows. Uh, so there's a little bit of, little bit of ill will there uh, at the end mm. behind that nine ten finish. Okay, well behind them we've got Liam Lawson in eleventh, Yuki Tsunoda in twelfth, Joaquin Yu thirteenth, Nico Hulkenberg fourteenth, Kevin Magnussen fifteenth, ahead of all the DNFs of Alex Albon, Logan Sargent, Lance Stroll, Sergio Perez, and Valtteri Bottas. Gosh, I don't even remember what happened to Lance Stroll. Uh, uh like random rear end damage. Uh, like pulled into the pits, they did a visual inspection and like signaled uh, to kill the car. But I couldn't, right. I never did go back and because it was like, <laughs> it was kind of further back in the pack anyway. Like so much, you just kind of assume they're just all part of the same carnage. But I never did loop back around to figure out like what got, what what caused Stroll's damage. Yeah, not sure. Well, that's Japan. Uh, And that is it for the race recap. We're going to take a break here, and then we'll be back with the news. And we're back. Welcome back. Uh, Before we get to the news, driver standings after the Japanese Grand Prix. Uh, Max Verstappen is on top. Big surprise there. Uh, Sergio Perez, uh, I'm sorry, he has 400 points. That is uh, 177 points ahead of uh, the second place uh, driver, Sergio Perez, and there are 180 points left up for grabs in the <laughs> season. So that's that's how that Qatar math is working out. Uh, Lewis Hamilton is in, is in third with 190. Um, behind Sergio Perez is 223. That's 33 points. Uh, Fernando Alonso is in fourth with 174. Carlos Sainz in fifth with 150. Charles Leclerc in sixth with 135. And then a tie between Lando Norris and George Russell in seventh and eighth for, uh, with 115 points. Oscar Piastri in ninth with 57. Lance Stroll in tenth with 47. Pierre Gasly's got 46. Esteban Ocon's got 38. Uh, Alex Albon has 21. Nico Hulkenberg has nine. In 15th place, Valtteri Bottas with six. Joaquin Yu's got four. Yuki Tsunoda and Kevin Magnussen both have three. And Liam Lawson has two. And then tied for 20th place, Logan Sargent, Nick DeVries, and Daniel Ricciardo. In the constructor standings, Red Bull Racing has secured the championship, the team, the constructors championship, that is, uh, with 623 points. Mercedes is currently in second with 305. Ferrari's in third with 285. Uh, Aston Martin has 221. McLaren thinks they can beat them by the end of the season. They have 172 points. Alpine's in sixth with uh, 84. Williams has 21. Gene Haas and team have 12. Alfa Romeo's got 10. And Alfa Tauri with 5. Uh, if you would like to join the uh, standings yourself, you can join our Fantasy League using the link in the show notes. You can still get in before the end of the season. Because not only is there an overall winner, there is also uh, winners per race. And the the podium positions from the Japanese Grand Prix are, in third, LeGregs Gunners. In second, Strulovich's Red Balls. 
And in first place, Papaya and Blue Scuderia. But overall, it's as you were for the overall podium. Because in third, we have Time to Call underscore Gene. In second, Horner to the Max. And in first, that's right, Paying the Stroll Toll. Lance Stroll getting a lot of getting a lot of love in the team names over here. Uh, let's take it to the news. Sorry, go for it, Rob. No, do we call that love? <laughs> uh, the news, couple big notes. Uh, Driver wise, AlphaTauri is keeping Yuki Tsunoda and drum roll, please, Daniel Ricardo. Um, so Liam Lawson. Uh, despite his very good performances, um, we'll have to, to take a back seat and wait one more year. Who knows? Languish in so obscurity this, forever. This is a larger sample, sample size than we have with DeVries, right? Yeah. Uh, no. I think DeVries had more. Oh, wait. Huh? You mean before? Yeah, for, yeah before the, he got the job. Before he got the job. Yeah, I think he won maybe two races. DeVries yeah, raced. I'm, like, I'm just saying, like, I can understand not wanting to burn your burn, burn your fingers twice on like the same thing where it's a substitute driver comes in looks good you're like the hell with it let's sign him. <laughs> Liam Lawson looks like he has the stuff. Um, you know who knows how much of it, but he's he's in there going wheel to wheel with Yuki at a track that Yuki has a lot of experience at, and Le- like Lawson. To be fair, so does Lawson because he's oh, raced yeah. in uh, Super Formula. Hmm. I thought they were coming in that Lawson didn't. Maybe maybe it was Sargent, the, the, the like the other rookie that. Uh, it was Singapore that Lawson had never raced at. I think. Okay. Um, then that then that makes that then that makes that uh, duel a little uh, a little more even, I, I guess, in terms of how the drivers come across there. But yeah, I don't know. It just it just seems like Lawson appears to be a very good and steady hand uh, behind the wheel, and I'm sort of surprised that. They didn't try to find something for him unless, I mean, Sergio's on the last year of his contract. How secure is that seat? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think, which is why this is an article from uh, racer.com. Liam Lawson, not distracted by the news he won't be an AlphaTauri racer in 2024. I don't think I would be either. I think I would be, as these things go, relatively content because... If I'm him, I have just put in some incredible performances. And even if Red Bull doesn't pick me up, I'm also like open for business yeah. because not only did he, you know, perform well, he performed well in an Alpha Tauri. Like that same kind of deal with DeVries where, you know, he was in that Williams and um, yeah. just completely outshone uh, Latifi. Yeah, it's it's been an impressive outing. Like, and it appears like... They are I'm not sure what his full contract status is, but you know, this quote from him on Red Bull Driver, uh, it doesn't seem like they're gonna, you know, release him into the broader pool of F one talent and say, like, go go find yourself a ride. So I don't know, like to me the whole we we're keeping Ricardo around, like to me it just all indicates that the the seat's gonna be scorching hot for uh Perez next year. And I'm curious how I like where the contract is at, but you know, with one year left, you're willing to eat penalty terms uh, if things are not working out well, because you, you basically only owe on the balance of a season uh, if you end up having to uh, shut down a contract early. So yeah, like to, to me, it's odd that like Lawson isn't getting tapped for something. Uh, and the fact they're keeping, you know, Ricardo around as well just indicates that there may be a broader shuffle uh, in play. So yeah, it's uh it's it's interesting, but I don't know. I'm I'm I've been really impressed with Lawson. Uh, I I I feel like I, I I don't feel like you know it's a it's just a hype thing that he's sort of the new shiny object. Like I feel like we've seen enough here that if 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 this guy weren't ready to be an F one driver, we would have seen more evidence of that. Yeah, uh, Ricardo. By the way, still no no sign of when he's going to be back. Um, it was uh, just this week they were saying that, uh, um, let's see here. Yeah, he's still 
they don't want to put a tar- you know a, a deadline on the recovery. They just want him to recover well. No telling when he's going to be back in the seat. I guess he, you know he, now that he's signed for next year, he can, he can take his time. Who cares? Yeah, get, give Lawson some more reps. And he, like, yeah, I think this is a situation where if I'm Ricardo, I'd be okay letting the thread play out and come back after you're you're properly rehabbed. And Lawson, like, what a great situation, really. You you come in unexpectedly in a situation where nobody expects very much of you. You do well. And then if he finds himself driving again next year, it is once again the backup quarterback thing where it's like the most popular man in town uh, because he'll be coming into a situation where something has happened, where there's, it's kind of messy, and Lawson is there to you know be the alternative. So I think he's, he's in a great position. Uh, yeah, and this. as for Tsunoda, um, got some quotes here from racefans.net from Chief Engineer, Chief Race Engineer Jonathan Edels, uh, who said, um, you know, Yuki is, where is the quote? Uh, yeah, Yuki is maturing. He's focusing on understanding the car, giving better feedback. He's maturing as a driver, and that's helping us focus on the areas to help him get faster. I think he's also understanding more what he needs from the car in terms of balance, uh, characteristics, the interestability, all these sorts of things. Uh, before he was still learning and he went through the changes regulations and us as a team as well, we know how to extract the most from him based on the data, his feedback. So I think we're gelling as a group and that is showing in his performance. So if graph go up, I guess. I think the problem I, I see, the, the, the problem I see with Yuki or, or for him really is that I just don't know where he goes because nothing I've seen indicates that like him going up to Red Bull would be good for anyone. Uh, like, yeah. I don't think... I don't think that team has the patience for someone like you sort of has the tendencies he does. I, I think honestly, if you weren't a fluent English speaker, I think that team just gives off bad vibes uh, in terms mm-hmm. of how you'll be regarded. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't love it as a destination for him, but I, but I think the big thing is like, I, I also just feel like from Yuki, we've kind we, we kind of have a sense of, I'm not sure this is the guy for like the high pressure you have to deliver situation uh, that that Red Bull would be, and so I, I kind of wonder like is he on the Gasly plan where it's going to be you're going to serve out a lo- long stint at Alpha, and then we see where you go, uh, or is it going to be a thing where are, are there any like are there any like leading teams where you see they like UQ would be a good fit for where they are at. Are you with me that Red Bull doesn't seem like it would be the place? Yeah, no, I. Yeah, and and I'm, I guess I'm I'm wondering what is giving me that impression, and it's. I can't really point to a lot of Yuki, performances, frankly, one way or the other. Like he used to crash a lot when he was a rookie, and now he's just kind of there. You know, he doesn't. I think he's fine. Yeah. Like he's often in Q three, and you're like, oh, great, cool. But then, Which, you know, that car was a piece of shit this year. That's a good point. Yeah, that like, too. So that and, car and might be masking performance gains. It's true. But then Lawson um, was there too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the other bit of driver news: Oscar Piastri has signed a multi-year extension with McLaren through the end of 2026. So we're going to see him, see him, seeing more of him alongside Lando Nori. Where does Norris's contract run to? Through twenty twenty five. Okay, so they got them offset by a year. Um, yeah. So yeah. far, the the last remaining driver to be confirmed next year is uh, Logan Sargent. Hmm. Um, he was signed in November of twenty twenty two. So we might have to wait that long <laughs> again. You know, I think I think if you could I'll say this, like Williams has like for a while dealt with a we have a badly underperforming second driver situation. Like it's just been a fact of life there. Uh Robert Kubica comes back, he's not who he who he was as a driver. How dare uh, you? you know, uh Nikki Latifi Nice enough fellow, uh, but like just never, never could bring it together. I could see it being a thing where if Vols and company are not BSing and like Sargent is genuinely showing improvement, 
behind the wheel of an F1 car and like, you know, gaining proficiency. Not everyone is actually capable of improving once they get an F1. Like we've seen it. Like not everyone can actually raise their ceiling um, or, or, you know, raise their floor really. Uh, you know, once, once they get into, into an F1 drive, the ability to improve is, is pretty important. Uh, cause we've seen a lot of, a lot of drivers come in and just not be able to do that. So, you know, maybe that, maybe they do give him that grace period, uh, for this, given that it's no worse than it's been really. Yeah. Uh, one more contract that I haven't seen come through and maybe it has, um, and I've just missed it. Toto Wolf. I have here on my personal sheet that I uh, keep here. He was last, uh, his last contract was through 2023. So we've seen George and Lewis uh, sign their extension in August. Wonder what's up with, uh, with old Toto. Um, let's move on, Rob. Yeah. To the FIA. Yeah. So the FIA, uh, Sort of the coming into the weekend, they had gone back and reviewed their handling of some impeding incidents that happened with uh, Max at Singapore, and what they determined was that they they'd issued him a reprimand uh, because he he was involved in three impeding incidents over the course of the the Singapore weekend, or or, or in qualifying, uh, one in the pit lane and then two out on track. And they ended up reprimanding him. And then shortly after the race, really, they went back and reviewed that and said that that was a mistake, that they should have given him a three-place grid penalty uh, given the impeding incidents and the fact that that's pretty much a cut-and-dried penalty at this point. Like, they they hand those out pretty aggressively uh, when it comes to impeding on the track. Um, So... They sort of they, they they sort of you know put up their hands and admitted that you know they're questioned about it uh, because you know every team principal every driver keeps an index of like well I wasn't show I didn't get a reprimand I got I got the grid penalty mm-hmm. uh, so they were pressed on it they just didn't they didn't argue the point they they were very frank about like it was a mistake uh, and they they further clarified that they weren't setting a new precedent there is no like nobody should be arguing for well if Max got a reprimand I should get a reprimand uh it was a flat out mistake and the three place grid drop is the proper penalty uh for impeding I think that I don't know I like seeing that I like seeing the FIA going like hey we messed up I feel like it, I would like to see more of that <laughs> if indeed there are uh, there are mess ups in the future because uh, yeah. I feel like the FIA, in in you know, since I've been watching, has not. That's not really how they roll ever. No, no. Genuine, generally, they they will sort of stand by uh, their rules or just not clarify what their thinking was around a around an incident. Uh, so yeah, that that is that is growth of a sort. But not everyone likes growth. Mm. Uh, as we've discussed basically throughout this year, F1, F1 and F1 team principals hate the idea of teams joining the F1 grid without paying a fortune in anti-dilution fees. And so uh, the punchline to all of this is that I think there were four, uh, there were four bids to enter uh, F1. Of varying credibility, they didn't. They didn't all look like uh, you know prime candidates to come into F one, but uh, doesn't matter. Not, not some of them did look okay. Doesn't matter. Uh, three of the four have been rejected. Uh, so let's see who who got knocked out here because uh, I didn't I didn't follow the other the other entries as closely. Uh, so yeah, high tech from Formula Two and uh, Rodan Carlin. Uh, and then there was a bit of an odd, an odd one coming, uh, from LK, LKYS sons, uh, sort of an odd, an odd bid, uh, that, that, that came in there. I can't remember one of them also, uh, led off with, it was going to be, 
I think they were leaving off like a diversity and inclusion uh, pitch for like what the concept of their team was going to be, and that would be their their value. Their that would be their value add. The odd thing that that comes from the uh, the Suns uh, refusal is that that organization said they were willing to pay a much higher dilution fee. Um, that they had that they had some backing. Uh, and that they were that they were ready to they were ready to sort of meet whatever terms the uh, F one teams wanted to set down for for entry, uh, and they're making it sound like there might there there might still be a chance uh, for them. The team that didn't get rejected is Andretti, hmm. Andretti's still alive, and all right. Just this is now just my theory, Drew. <laughs> they don't like him, hmm. but he's obviously a credible bidder, and he'll yeah. put together a credible F one team. And I think they know they can soak him. I think before I think before all is said and done, he is going like he will find the backing and the capital to meet a higher anti dilution fee. Uh, I think I think they know he's gonna like. He'll do it, and they will get their pound of flesh from him, uh, and then they're going to get a pretty decent competitor on the F one grid uh, that will, you know, I think you know they they all you know the the, th- the argument they always make is, well, what does any new team add? I think with Andretti and the Cadillac backing, uh, like it's kind of obvious what it what it adds, like having a new another credible entrant. Uh, is is always I think is just good for the sport. I suspect that like if he can scrape together the dilution fee that they're looking for, and uh, I think he wants it badly enough that he'll find a way. I, I think this will this will end up happening. Interesting. Well, we will certainly follow that one whenever there is more information because uh, that that would be interesting. I, I feel like. If it's just some other team that you don't really know, and people may know Carlin and, and High Tech better than better than I do, if you, especially if you watch a lot of Formula Two. Um, but I, I, I think you're right, Rob. I think having that um, pedigree just lends a lot more credibility to it, and um, frankly, is it's built in eyeballs. I think if you're coming from Indy, you want to see that. If you're American, you probably heard the Andretti name more than you've heard. Logan Sargent, yeah. uh, or or Haas, frankly, um, well, it may not be true because NASCAR. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll be watching. Oh, uh, if you'd like to send us a note here, sorry. Yeah. Uh, apparently, part of the brief for all the teams uh, coming from from F one has been part of your bid should indicate how you're going to have a positive social impact, particularly with regard to diversity. So I think one of the interns did really center that, but apparently this is part of the uh, like prospectus that uh, F1 has put out there. All right, good. Uh, well, if you'd like to send us an email, if you've got any inside knowledge on the Andretti situation, shift at home podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Uh, you can also hit us up on the socials using the links in the show notes. There's too many of them for me to list with my mouth. Uh, and that is us around the internet. Now it's time to take it around the world of racing, Rob. The World Rally Championship is in Concepcion, Chile for the Rally Chile Bio Bio. Hell yeah. Bio Bio. Um, let's see. I have no concept of where we are in that in that championship. Is this the end? Is it the beginning? Do they run through the winter? I, do, I don't know. They... Um, WRC does have a an offset schedule. I think it might start earlier, so this may be toward. There's the end. definitely winter driving because I yeah. played those games, and there's uh-huh. like there there be snow. Isn't EA making the next one? I think EA they is are. making uh, the WRC. They wrested it from the French company that has done it for years. Uh, that and and pretty good games, all all things considered. But now it is a Codemasters joint. Which right. you know, people really like dirt rally uh, one they and sure two. Do. So um, you know, it's probably in good hands. They like dirt too, even more. Uh, Mo- MotoGP is at the 
mm, formerly known as Twin Ring Motegi. It is now Mobility Resort Motegi. No. Bring it back. <laughs> In the Haga District, Tochigi Prefecture. Uh, the World Superbike Championship is at Autodromo Internacional do Algarve uh, for the Portuguese round. We've got those Craftsman trucks at the Talladega Speedway in Talladega, Alabama for Love's RV Stop 250. Uh, Motocross Grand Prix is in Matterley Basin in Winchester for the Motocross Grand Prix of Great Britain. We've got NASCAR also at the hallowed grounds of Talladega. For the Yellowwood 500. Yellow with an A. Of course. Camel Case Wood 500. And guess what, Rob? Yeah. It's not just the raceway that will conjure memories of the 2006 classic film, Talladega Nights, the legend, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. Because <clears throat> Stuart Haas Racing... Gene Haas and team um, will be sporting two cars featuring Ricky Bobby and Cal Naughton Jr.'s liveries from the movie. That's right. Wonder Bread and Old Spice will be out on the track. Set your DVRs. Fantastic. Yeah. A, pl- yeah. a NASCAR playoffs to remember. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jalopnik, for uh, cluing me into that one. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're one more week until, uh, the Qatar round at the Lucille International Circuit, but until then we'll have to watch all that other racing. And, uh, I'll also have to read from Danny's book. He has sent me an image, uh, from which to read September 27th, today in F1 history. Uh, Jill Villeneuve. You've had, you've had to carry, you've had to carry so much of the load. Oh, of course, you can also see this image. Please, Rob, be my guest. Well, now I'm alarmed because we're leading with Jill Villeneuve, so I don't know where this is going. Uh, okay. September 27th, Jill Villeneuve was renowned for his never-say-die attitude in racing, and he once again displayed that quality on this day in 1981 at his home Grand Prix at Montreal, Canada. In torrential rain, uh, Gilles had severely damaged the front wing of his Ferrari. Rather than waste time by pitting to have it sorted out, he drove on with the wing obscuring his view. Eventually, it became detached, and he drove to an impressive third place with the nose section of the car missing. When Damon wow. Hill was looking for a new team for the 1997 season, he told the press he was talking to everyone except Minardi. <laughs> in the end, he joined the team second to Minardi in the list of all-time F1 losers. Today, in 1996, the British driver surprised everyone when he announced he had signed for perennial backmarkers, Arrows. Hill almost took a victory for the team at the Hungara Ring, but left after just one, one winless season. Wow. So wait, it seems like somebody at that book took Damon Hill's career decisions personally. (laughs) 97. That's after he won his championship. I can't remember. This is, this is exposing. You don't end up with F1 fan. I am. Your stock is high, but you can make some bad. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Yep. No one. There's no way to know. Um, if you would like to support the show, oh, I'm sorry. Rob, final thoughts on Japan? Oh, uh, you know, it was, once again, it was one of those things where if you lop off what's happening with, like, the very front of the race, it was a damn good mm-hmm. race. Yeah, certainly interesting from a strategy perspective. All the people running different strategies, undercutting each other, a very, uh, a very... F1 nerd kind of a race, I think. Um, Wait, yeah. sorry, quick thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Damon Hill won the championship in 1996. Okay. That's so wait, cre- why yeah. is he looking, why is he going to Arrows in 97? I have no Bro. idea. Well. Hmm. Uh, the world may never know. 
If you would like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, the ad-free version of the podcast, and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shiftf1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Yeah.